This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from March 27, 2022. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11. Uh, well, it's verses 1 through 3, and then verses uh, 11b through 32. Luke does this weird thing where he creates what we call a Lucan sandwich. And it's not that I wanted to skip from uh, 3 to 11. It's just that I didn't need the creamy middle for the story. I just needed this part uh, from the lectionary text this morning. So hear now these words from the Gospel of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in, well, I don't know if I like this translation, but dissolutely living. I would prefer that it said, heathenistic lifestyles but you know when he had spent everything a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs he would gladly have filled himself with the pods the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread and enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. And uh, Let me do that again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on, on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they, they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and, and your father has killed the fatted calf and because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. And his, his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat 
so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. So you'll notice that in the bulletins it says one thing for the name of my sermon and in the, on the screen it said another. It said we are all sinners but in the bulletin it says nothing like a father's love. This is on purpose. I think it goes to say and understand that we do come to this moment where we recognize that we are like sinners. And we are all sinners. There's not really any way that we can do that or get away from that. And this story is kind of fascinating. You've heard it preached a lot of different ways. For us, we've heard it there's three main characters in our mind. There's the, there's the youngest son who, well, let's, let's face it, uh, comes to his dad and says, listen, dad, I'm, I'm ready. I, wanna, I want all of my wealth, which would have been a smaller portion than the oldest son. And, and, and then the dad just gives it to him. And then the son goes away and as he parties and has a really good time, uh, he gets to this point where he realizes as he's eating with pigs that uh, he, he, he could come back home and dad would take care of him. And, and we've, we pre- preach that sermon. We preach that a lot of different ways. Then there's the dad's side. You know, you've heard this sermon. The dad is this loving person and we're supposed to give and that the dad does all of these great things in the story and that he is the model of who we are supposed to be. And then there's the oldest boy, which is an easy sermon to preach. I happen to be the oldest of six. And I can hear myself saying right off the bat, yeah, of course the baby gets whatever he wants. (laughs) I can hear myself going into a whole tangent about, yeah, here I am. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And yet he comes walking in and says, hey, Dad, I want to do this. And he gets everything he wants and squanders it away. But here I am, toiling over like a, like a dog. And I don't even get a goat. I can remember as if it was yesterday, going to college and my dad giving me $20. Saying, don't spend it all in one place. When my sister got a new car. It wasn't really that bad. But you know in your head. You can make up that sermon. Right? But I'm going to challenge us this morning. I want us to look at this in a different way. You know we've been on this kind of tangent. About looking at the audience. Or listening to the audience. Of the first and second century. And I, and I really want you to pay very close attention to the words that are on this page. Remember, most of the the people that are hearing this are starving to death. We can't avoid it. We can't get away from it. There's nothing that you can say that says, oh yeah, they're happy. No, 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 they're starving. 
The other part of this is, is that they're Jewish. There's, there's no way of getting away from that either. The audience that's hearing this is, is going, okay, well, yeah, we're supposed to do these things, yeah. So there's a lot of little pieces in this passage that I really want us to put a little focus in on in a different way. What if we said, for the moment of the sermon, that Israel was the youngest son? Just for the sake of it. God entrusted Israel with the creation from the very beginning of their story and their understanding. Their job was to be the ones that toiled the land, remember? They took care of the animals. They, they planted things. They're supposed to, what's the phrase? Love your neighbor. They're supposed to do these things. And what did they do? Well, they, they left. At the time that this was been written, the audience that would have heard it, the 12 tribes are not there together in Jerusalem. They were scattered all over the Mediterranean. Twelve brothers can't seem to get along for nothing. So here they are, scattered apart from each other, away from their home. You all know this, how this goes, right? There's no place like home. And these people would have known that story. And they went off and they squandered everything that God had given to them. All the gifts, all the blessings of community and Torah. It's, just, it's all gone. And then it makes sense that the son, that the youngest son, comes back to the father. Not on hands and knees, but I like to imagine it this way. Asking the father, please just, just take me back. I'll do whatever you ask me. I will work in the fields like, like a, one of your slaves, which I don't like in this terminology. I would say as one of the lesser elite people that happened to have been slaves. And there's this moment where the youngest figures this out. Like I, I, I can, remember they're starving. I could go home and I would be given something that would sustain me. Something that would quench my thirst. Well, if that's the case, and we go that with the youngest son, then that means that the dad has to be God. And what is it that God does? Now, the part that I think is fascinating about this passage of Scripture is God is not some sort of genie or wish master. So you you, got to get that out of your head, right? Like, ooh, I want this. God, can I have it? And then that God says, oh, yeah, sure, here you go. All of us would be driving really nice sports cars. That's not how God works. But in this moment, the youngest says, God, I, I would like a portion of my inheritance. Now, I, I think that this makes a good Torah-based argument that the son, a.k.a. Israel, goes out into the world to be the vessel of God's will. And as humans, fails. The part that's beautiful of this story is the acknowledgement that God still loved that son as if he never left. Oh my gosh. 
Do you understand how powerful that is? All of the things that are in the world, all of the things that take place, they are hearing this word yet once again in this first and second century audience that God looks past all of those things. When you open your arms, God is just waiting for you to come back. Sees you from a distance, runs up to you, wraps God's arms around you, puts clothes on you, puts feet, shoes on your feet, and gives you bread of life and a cup of eternal salvation. All of a sudden, a cup that never goes empty. You will never be hungry again. You will never thirst again. Luke, you are a genius in this story. And, and no, God's not going to give you the hand-me-downs. No, God's not going to give you the scraps or the crumbs that the Roman Empire would. Did you catch that part? The Roman Empire gives you the scraps for you to eat. That's what the youngest son was eating. But God will give you something that's so much more powerful that it'll be a fatted calf. Something amazing. Something that will truly quench our thirst and stop our hunger. But we can't move on without talking about this oldest brother. Who is upset? Who, who, who recognizes that in the, in the moment there's something wrong here? It doesn't make sense. Why is it that God will forgive them? But, but God, where's all mine? I mean, let's face it. In the first century, there's this caste system. In, in Palestine, there's a religious class that was enforced rigorously. It was, it was literally legally forbidden for devout Jews to mingle with people who were outside the Torah. That's why Luke starts off with, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here's Jesus telling you this story. These religious leaders who have lost their way, who love God, that didn't change. Notice that this story doesn't say that they're bad. It doesn't say that Jesus says to the big brother, you're not supposed to stop working. You're supposed to do it the right way. Teach the word of God. Live the word of God. Not enforce the word of God. God is the judge, not you. The Pharisees tended to separate themselves from people, not faithful to the law and the traditions in order to form these closed communities, the, what we refer to as the faithful remnant of Israel. I mean, literally, their name means the separate ones or the holy ones. Their morality was legalistic and was a matter of reward and punishment. Now, I say this, but see, God loved and rewarded those who kept the law and hated and punished those who did not, according to the Pharisees. I think the Pharisees get a bum rap here in the sense that somehow or another that they, they can't find compassion. And I just, I can't believe that either. Pharisees are children of God just like the youngest brother in this story. Which is why I think that Jesus doesn't 
say to them, ooh, you brood of vipers. He doesn't do that in this story. He's saying, let's be careful of what we preach and teach. And Jesus is in the company of these sinners. These sinners, by the way, describe a particular type of social outcast. And the reason they're discussed this way is is that they're, for any reason, deviated from the Torah, from the law and the customs of the middle class, which coincidentally are the educated, (laughs) the virtuous, and the religious ruling class among the non-elites. They're just not starving as bad. And these sinners, anybody below them, well, they're sinners and they're treated as inferiors by the upper non-elites. So we come to this moment that we have to ask ourselves, what is this parable about? Is it these three main characters that we've highlighted, that we've exaggerated to a point where it's fun to talk about? Or... Is the parable recognizing this statement that God loves and accepts me as I am, which is not perfect. And I've made lots of choices that I would love to redo. I need to see others as God does, I think is the second part of this passage of Scripture. God did not place judgment on the youngest son. And he didn't place judgment on the oldest. Did you catch that part? Why did you do this? What about me? And what does the father say? All that I have is yours. I need to see others as God does. I think it's also important to recognize that God is waiting for us to come home. Remember, home is also where the heart is. It's good to be home. There is no place like it. It's also important for us to recognize that there are people that are missing from our home. And that we have to reconcile with them. Whether it's a family member or whether it's an old church member or maybe it's somebody in the community that has done something wrong to us, we have to find forgiveness, that we have to find reconciliation. It is who we are, it's what we are, and it's the hardest thing that we do. And we cannot do it alone. I think the part that's beautiful to me is is that we recognize that in this moment, that we are all sinners. And that we are struggling with life. But there's nothing, nothing in this world that's more powerful than the Creator's love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.